Well, hello, Raghags. This is your host, Shani, and I'm coming at you with a little content warning. We will be talking about child loss in this episode, so please keep that in mind if that is something you are sensitive to. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a very exciting episode of Romance at a Glance, Authors at a Glance. I'm your host, Bridget, and with me is my co-host, Shani. Hi, Shani. Hi, Bridget. I'm very excited today because we had an interview with Amy Dawes. If you guys don't know her yet, you should because she's the author of Blindsided, which arose through the TikTok ranks and ended up reading, reaching number one on Amazon. What? Which is just an accomplishment. And I'm very, very happy to have her on the podcast to talk all about marketing your book and how her writing journey started and how she switched from a memoir into romance novels and went full time. And we just covered the gambit. I really like Amy. I feel like I feel like we could be friends. Oh, absolutely. She was super open. She showed up when she was not feeling well today. And I respect that. I just I just do. I just do. And so I'm very excited. I would definitely recommend. Yes. Well, here we go. Without any further ado, Amy Dawes. Get the shit poppin'. Romance at a glance. Uh huh. Romance at a glance. What you say now? Romance at a glance. Go ahead, girl. Okay, everybody, I'm really excited that Amy's here. So I found Amy on TikTok and like many of you probably. And she was talking about how her book was climbing the charts and it was like 50th, and then I saw another TikTok, 25th, another TikTok, 20th, 18th, 12th, like all the way up to one, number one. And I was immediately intrigued because it wasn't like a book you had just published. It was an older book. Yeah, it was two years old. And so I thought that was like such a cool thing to talk about because I know a lot of indie authors that we have talked about, talked to, or want to talk to, um, you know, can get down on the fact that like, oh, hey, when this book came out, maybe it didn't have as much life as they wanted. And so that was what kind of initially hooked me into your story was talking a little bit about how like your whole back catalog counts and like kind of keeping going and building that fan base. Um, And then also just, you know, like fun TikTok stuff. And I also read your book and I love footballers. I love soccer. I played it my whole life. And so it all, it all came together. It was kismet. It was meant to be. Um, So thank you for coming on our show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. When did you join TikTok? Were you like an early adopter or did Um, you just join during COVID like a lot of people? Pretty much like a year ago now. I just like got a time hop of one of my earlier TikToks um, that I'd shared on social media. And I was like, oh, I've been on TikTok a year now. I didn't, I didn't realize because I was kind of, I felt like a late joiner. I knew a lot of authors joining it and singing its praises, but I was resistant at first. I was like, I'm busy enough. Like I don't need another distraction in my life. But the more I heard of people being able to find success and find new readers, the more intrigued I got. And honestly, I'm an extrovert at heart. So I don't really know why I was resisting it so much. Like TikTok is a great uh, platform for me because I have no ego and no filter. And that's exactly the kind of people that, you know, have fun on TikTok. So um, yeah, I guess it's been about a year now. That's awesome. Um, we are also late adopters. Shawnee had been on personal TikTok. I never joined TikTok because I was like, I will watch too much. I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. And then we just joined with the podcast in October. So we're like little baby TikTokers. Um, what are some of like the, I think what you said about having fun is like the big thing, like the accounts that we follow, the authors that we follow that seem to do really well, have like fun with it. And 
I think in the romance space, like you can have a lot of fun because there's like all these people pasting like thirst traps and there's all these like wonderful, sexy quotes in the books and just like fun stuff to talk about. Like, what do you feel like was the thing that really started to grow, grow your readership and TikTok? I mean, for sure, for me, I learned a lot by watching TikTok and finding book talk specifically, because, you know, when you see what people are attracted to and what's calling to them, um, then you kind of know like what the themes are in your specific genre. You know, I did a lot of random stuff my first few months in TikTok, just whatever I thought was funny and some would not be a, a hit. And I was like, what the heck? This is, this is great. And this took me hours. Why does nobody like it? And then I, I realized actually like it's a lot more simple. Um, they just, you just need to hook readers with something in your book. If you're there to sell books, which I am, it's all about the hooks. It's all about that, that quote, that excerpt, that line in your book that makes readers suck into the screen and go, Oh my God, I have to read that. You know what I mean? And I, I'm reading books that I never would have picked up either because of certain book talkers, TikToks. And so yeah, honestly, some of the most simple TikToks that have blown up for me, I was like going to delete and was cringy. Like when Blindsided hit number one, um, one of my TikToks that went viral around the same time another book talkers did, I was totally going to delete that. I was like, oh, you're staring sultrily into the camera and you're like, <laughs> you're like giving bedroom eyes with this ridiculous quote, like delete it, Amy. Who are you? You're a 38 year old mother. Like, what are you trying to prove here? But I swear to God, it took off because it's it's not about your face or your look or anything. It's about the content of what you're the quote you're putting out there. And if that resonates with readers, um, TikTok figures that out and it just blows up. I was dying laughing because when I first joined Book Talk, there were so many of those things where like someone would be like staring at the camera and then you'd see like the scenario pop up or the quote pop up. And then I'd be like, wait, is this, and I'd be like looking in the caption, is this a real thing or is this a real life or is this a book that I need to read today? And I found that for myself too, like I see a million books on Instagram and certainly Goodreads and everywhere else. And, and it's much harder to get me to immediately go from like a photo to purchasing a book versus like a video and someone like either like doing like the quotes or like people doing the little text message thing or, or just like the POV or whatever, whatever the little hook might be. I find myself being like, oh, that sounds pretty good. I'll read that. Yeah. Which I yeah. don't know. Like, I don't know why that is, but it certainly seems like a lot of authors that I've seen have had those like big, holy shit, like ever, like Ice Planet Barbarians. Those books were written so long ago mm -hmm. and they just went insane. They did. I you know, it's like a yacht now. I mean, <laughs> I know, right? I'm, I'm ready for yacht status. I'm yeah, not there right? yet. <laughs> um, it's interesting because I never. It's TikTok has like taught me more how to market my book. Like I thought I was a pretty good marketer. I thought I knew what my tropes in my books were and the lines that I could say that would sell. And then the more I've watched TikTok and seen these book talkers and what they pull and what goes viral, it's like literally showing you what readers like gasp for. And a lot of it is that universal fantasy stuff that we love in books, but we maybe haven't articulated clearly. Like, like we love 
um, a, a cityscape shot or we love a helicopter ride or we love like a jealous boyfriend moment or, you know, like all those little universal romance fantasies that, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily tolerate in real life, but in a book, you're like, oh yeah, give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> um, Shawnee talks about that all the time. When we first did our first dark romance, we were, Shawnee was like, this is so wonderful. You can explore all this taboo in a safe place. She's like, this is a red ass flag. Don't let this shit happen. To you. <laughs> this is fiction in real life. If he breaks down your door, call the police. <laughs> it's funny. Cause like, I feel like I have to say that mostly because I was a young romance reader. Right. Uh, whereas Bridget had a parent who was very vocal about sex and you know, what was normal and what was not normal. I came from a household where we didn't talk about anything at all we we pretended pretended that that nothing existed and so when i was reading romance novels and i and i got to like 18 19 when i'm gonna start dating and i'm expecting what's happening in my stories to be happening in real life you know and so it i felt like it was very detrimental oh yeah that's devastating (laughs) to my early to my early you know relationships because i had an unrealistic expectation of sex of what a relationship is what supporting is and that sort of thing and so um whenever we're aggressively jealous all the time (laughs) (laughs) and and a lot of these dark romance readers are young that i that i'm running into are really young um and so i want to make sure that they're that they know the difference between this fantasy taboo and then like real life and then if they want that in real life then let's talk about kink and let's talk about consent let's talk about boundaries but let's I just want everybody yes. to be on the right page, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. hundred percent. I agree with you. Like I was reading through all of your, you know, bios and things and you actually, we come from a production background. So we were both in LA, both worked on a bunch of stuff. So you also were from a production background and yeah. made commercials. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I went to school for electronic media, which was video audio production stuff. And so I ended up with a gig at a local TV station and I just made cheesy local ads. You know what I mean? Like the mom and pop restaurants, the, the spas, the car dealerships, like I did all that stuff. I it was this. a lot of fun. I would have been like, yo, and you know what we really need is like a free massage package. So oh, for sure. <laughs> for <laughs> sure. You know, understand the product more. Some free well, lunch. Or, yeah, if we're doing a sports bar, I got a sample. I got a sample of all the, the, the beer and, you know, specialty <laughs> How cocktails. Are How are your wings? Okay. Yeah, People. research, research. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, when I was a kid, like, or when I was like, I don't know, I want to say like 17, 18, that would have been my dream job. That's what I wanted to do so badly. And I, in school, I used to make up fake commercials for things. And <laughs> it just, it's like memory unlock. Um, I used to make fake commercials. And I remember it was one that I was particularly proud of. Like, so I was made a mock commercial for Bally's. Do you remember Bally Total Fitness? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. I, I've never heard of Bally's again. Like, I don't know if they even exist anymore. But I remember making this whole thing set to Bob Marley's, like, hey, uh, like, girl, I gotta make you sweat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so that is super rad. <laughs> no, that's, I, I like it. That's ambitious. At first, I thought you said your dream job was to just be a 
sampler, like to sample. Yeah, all the that's what I thought you were talking oh, about. No. Like just going places, and I was like, "It's called a food critic, and they exist." And yes, you should do it. I also, for a long time, thought about should I be? I write things. I'm quite a good, you know, I write for people. People pay me to do that. I could, I could just eat food all day and <laughs> try right? out new restaurants. That seems Gosh. like. And then I was like, "Ooh, that seems like." like churning one of your favorite things into a job, like going out to eat and restaurants and cocktails with my friends. Like I don't, I, I already have turned so many things I love into a job like books yeah. and movies and things. Like, I don't think I should keep doing that. I think something should just stay a hobby. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But the nice thing about the video production background is it really lends itself well to TikTok, you know, yeah. and just, just at least having an eye for editing and timing, like when you hit the beats. I can't say I'm doing high level editing for anything I make on TikTok. I am not. It it does not require it. That's like the yeah. beauty of TikTok. It's like yeah. almost um, it's humanized social media a bit more. Like Instagram, I think, became this platform of perfectly colored pictures, perfectly edited, perfectly square, um, perfectly composed. And, you know, people's gorgeous Instagram feeds would have like color themes and all this stuff. And like TikTok is like the opposite of all of that. So yeah. it's, it's in some ways a lot more approachable um, and less intimidating, but also intimidating because it's still, you know, creating unique video content, which is not easy to do. Did you have a, a struggle? Because I struggle still today. Even I was posted a TikTok and I was like, Bridget, you just have to post it. You got to stop. Because coming from like a YouTube, more professional production background and editing, and like I used to watch people edit for a living and go, cut that 10 frames out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what people used to pay me to say. And I sometimes have the hardest time posting just, like you said, the simpler the videos are that we've made, the better they do. And sometimes I still have a hard time being like, but does it need a transition and some, some you know, something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have way backed off. I was pre-editing my early TikTok videos <laughs> for hours yeah. in my own video, like editing software on my own yeah. desktop computer. And then I'd upload them, but I'd have to compress them because they were too big. And it was like this <laughs> yeah. whole back and forth thing of like, I got, now I got to get it on my phone and then yeah. upload it. And then I, oh, but I need to find original yeah. audio from TikTok, not mine. <laughs> Oh my God, it was a freaking nightmare. And I, like less is more with TikTok. And for me, if if I'm doing a platform that takes that much time, it yeah. is 100% taking away from more valuable things I should be doing, which is always going to be writing because I'm a writer sure. first. Sure. So like the minute I like stepped back and realized you got to dumb this down and make this way more simple or you're not going to be able to sustain this, um, it became a lot more fun. That's, yeah. that's what I've I've been taught about, like, so, like, music uh, production or creating music, right? So, like, I create music, and um, I remember one day, like, one of my mentors was like, uh, Shauna, you write too complex lyrics, right? And they're like, you're, you're, like, you're doing too much. She's like, take the, take the thought that you want to do and that you want to say, you know, know what it is, like, write down your complex thought, then dumb that shit way down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, and just make it simpler and I, and I find that like everything that I do that same that same energy kind of applies yeah less is more less is more for sure so how did you kind of transition from production into writing were you kind of like writing at night already for years did one day you just say like I could write a better book than that and start writing how did it all 
come to be? Um, actually, my first book is a memoir um, about how my daughter was born. So it's kind of like a sad start because now I write these like kind of raunchy romantic comedies. But like my very first book um, was a memoir about uh, the recurrent pregnancy losses my husband and I experienced before we had our daughter, Lorelai. Um, it's called Chasing Hope. It's yeah, I just I, I'd been kind of journaling about some of the things that happened because I remember when we were like in the thick of like all the bad losses, I like didn't want to forget those moments because I kept thinking someday I'm going to be happy. Someday we're going to have a child some way, but I didn't want to forget about everything that got me to that point. So um, eventually like all the writing I did and I'd been typing it and I was typing it almost like a book, like dialogue. Like I was remembering the conversations my husband and I would have at night or at the hospital or when we got a bad ultrasound or something like that. And so eventually I was like, I think I can make this into a book. This is when my daughter had already been born. She was two. Um, I started kind of piecing together a lot of the stuff that I'd written. And eventually I just started researching self-publishing. This was back in 2014. So indie publishing was kind of booming right then. Um, I didn't know anything really about the world of romance, but um, I researched enough and I found a local author that kind of helped me figure out how I could just get my book up on Amazon and out there for whoever. I didn't think I was going to be famous or anything with this book. I just was like, this was my painful story and I wanted to share it um, at least with my friends and family. Uh, Cause I think, you know, back then I just, it was hard to communicate truly like the trauma that we were experiencing. It was a very private like pain, but I, I wanted people to understand. I wanted people to like connect so um, I published Chasing Hope and uh, I loved that book, but I remember thinking I would never read a book like this. <laughs> I would never pick up a freaking tragic memoir about a woman's recurrent pregnancy losses, like, which is, you know, I don't know, you, some people connect with it. So it, it does serve a purpose to some readers, but that was not something I would want to read. You know, so uh, this is slightly, slightly off topic, but growing up, I always knew that I had a cousin that like was a miracle baby, right? It was told mm -hmm. to us all the time. She was number seven and I, she was the only one that survived from my aunt. And recently I got to go spend like a few weeks with my aunt. And when I say like, she and I never had a relationship. Me and this aunt, she hated me growing up because I was that kid, you know, that middle kid with a big mouth, you know? And uh, so I actually got to spend time with her in a totally different setting, right? She, so her, her daughter is, was older, but had passed away. And so I went there to kind of look after her, after her kids, check in, make sure everything's okay. And so I've been on this kind of quest to talk to all of my family members about their history and this and that and whatever. So we were just sitting there and I, and I asked her, you know, about, you know, like her having children that didn't make it and um, her actually explaining to me, like, what happened nobody has ever like talked about actually what ha what happened what you went through um and so i just was asking her questions and she looked at me at some point and she just said like nobody's ever asked me like nobody's ever talked about it nobody's like she's like this is the first time she's 80 something years old she's like this is the mm -hmm. first time that anybody has asked me questions about how i felt during this time um and that sort of thing and i found it like so incredibly fascinating um, especially because the impression I had was that she miscarried at early ages and she was like, no, I miscarried full, like six, seven months along mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was the first time I'd ever heard that. And mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it was a very real thing and a very like, you know, something that, uh, she was, she was happy to talk about in like, 
in this weird way like it was like cathartic mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like I, was, I found that extremely extremely fascinating so I'm sure that like that story even though it's not maybe the most romantic topic um, was definitely cathartic for people oh. to feel like very to, to feel very seen mm-hmm. um, and I guess I have a question that you can or cannot an- don't have to answer at all but when you did um, when you did finally have Lorelai right did you find that the process of having those miscarriages affected how you like directly affected how you mothered or uh, mothered Lorelai or felt or even like trauma healed in the process of having like a baby that that actually lived yeah oh 100 100 percent I this I don't tell many people this because it sounds almost smug but like I almost feel like I'm in on this secret of the world Like I have this perspective that no one else like can fully grasp because, you know, all of my, most of my losses were second trimester babies. You know, the last one we lost, I was in the hospital. I literally got to hold her in my hands and she's so tiny. She just fit in one hand, you know? Um, And in, in a weird way, it's like it gave me this ability to just appreciate everything more. And like I said, I don't say that a lot to people because it's like, it's like I'm telling other moms, you don't appreciate your kids enough. I'm super not. I'm just saying, I am certain that I am a different mother because of those losses in, and a better mother than I would have been to not have experienced that loss, that trauma, that, that life perspective. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I am so grateful to my kid and we have such a close connection and a close bond. And I can't imagine having that with any other kid. Like I, you know, the end of the book, I kind of said, all those losses were just always leading me to Lorelai. Like I just had to go through all those bumps because she was my kid. She was the one meant for me. And yeah, I absolutely think it's made me a better mom and my husband and even, you know, my parents, her grandparents, you can see like a different twinkle in their eye with her. Cause she is a little miracle and all kids are miracles, but like, there's just a different appreciation when, you know, the tough road that got her, you know, well, it seems like the, that built into her, um, into her coming into this world, into her manifestation is mm-hmm. an underlying hope. Like she came into this world with an underlying hope, which yeah. has to give it just a different energy entirely. Totally. Uh, so that's yeah, her, that, and that's, that's her awesome. middle name. Her middle name is Hope. So yeah, is it? yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's perfect. It, it suits her, and she's just got this like light too. She's just very. She's a happy kid. She's a good kid. I don't know. Maybe if I'd have had another one, they'd have been more difficult. <laughs> but for the most part, man, we are very lucky. She's she's amazing. Dear Romance Besties, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash romance at a glance to check out our awesome perks, including stickers, watching movies with us, naughty book boxes, and you can even be on the show. Can't be a patron? You can still support the show by purchasing books or things we recommend through our affiliate links on our show notes and our dope ass website. Thanks for the commission. Or you can leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts. Screenshot your review, send it to us on Instagram, and we'll send you some stickers. Now... So how did you transition from from your first book and then like you liked I'm assuming you liked the process of writing it and then you were like maybe I should write something that's like 
you know, happier and filled with hot British footballers who are yeah, falling. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I've always I loved see romance. Your little, your little English flag pillow in the back. Yeah, right. See, exactly. <laughs> um, I've always loved uh, romance novels. Specifically, I was obsessed with British chiclet. My older sister had given me this book called Asking for Trouble by Elizabeth Young. And it is the book that The Wedding Date with Deborah Messing is based off of. We all know okay. that movie, oh, right? Okay, okay. Remember, classic, right. perfect Dermot. wedding drama, romantic yeah. comedy. Um, and I read that book. I became obsessed with Elizabeth Young. I read all of her books. Very Sophie Kinsella, chiclet, like Bridget Jones Diary, like light, plucky, funny, not heavy on the heat, but like that sexual tension was just so yummy. And um, when I was going through my infertility like journey and I wrote this in Chasing Hope, I remember writing, I would just love to give up the dream of being a mom and like go move overseas, start a new adventure in London or somewhere else and um, just see what life is like uh, without trying to become a mom. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I thought that would be easier in some ways. Um, so I wrote, so I decided when I, when I decided to go, sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> All right, you guys, for context, my four-year-old just walked in, even yeah, though I she's, know. I was like, I was like, am I supposed to keep going and pretend later. I don't see the baby or acknowledge the baby? Apologies for the tiny child interruption. If I could move overseas and start a new life, that would just seem like uh, like a whole new adventure and I could forget about trying to be a mom. And so when I decided that I wanted to try my hand at writing fiction and romance, because that's what I like to read, I was like, what if I wrote about uh, a female who had infertility issues with her partner and decided to move overseas and like leave her past behind. And so that's what my very first book was called A Broken Us. Um, it's about a woman who experiences an infertility storyline. So I was still totally working through my traumas in those first few books that I wrote because, you know, um, obviously I was kind of writing a fantasy that I would never have like been able to um, accomplish at in my real life. So, uh, that's, that's how my London lover series started. It was sort of American girls in London. And then I just kind of got stuck over there and all these secondaries popped up that were British and then they got books. <laughs> and then one of them had four brothers who played professional soccer in England. And that's I when the Harris this. brothers were born. It was totally an accident. Not, it was not planned. Have you, <laughs> have you traveled in London a lot? Um, I've been there like three times, so I wouldn't say that's a lot for basically basing my entire career over there, <laughs> but I research a lot. I have a lot of British beta readers. I've, I've done my homework, so I try. Very, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Do you, um, so this actually leads into a TikTok question that I have. Um, so recently there's been a, a topic on TikTok about content warnings for books, right? And because you said that, you know, you're dealing with a character who had infertility, do you put that as a, a content warning, like before, um, like in the beginning of a book or something like that? Or do you, do you even believe in content warnings for romance or anything? I, I do not do much with trigger warnings. Um, I, I feel like maybe when I started, I didn't know enough about them to know I should put trigger warnings in there because there's a miscarriage storyline in A Broken Us. There's all this stuff. I don't warn anybody. Like you just totally get slammed with it, which maybe that's terrible. But um, also I feel like I, I deal with all trigger type things very sensitively, very carefully. And um 
I don't know. I, I guess I have mixed feelings about trigger warnings. I respect everyone's boundaries and setting them, but as an author, like it's just not something that I've made a priority to put trigger warnings on all my books because I really feel like it's about the journey, not about that one trigger. Uh, you know, you got to read the whole story to really, you know, feel better in the end, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I wish I had a better answer for that. Cause I, just... I, I'm not in the trigger warning club. You, you just defined what I, what I, um, what I call like the Shavasana, like getting to Shavasana, right? So like, if you've ever done yoga, the first time I did yoga, I did the whole thing. It killed me, like all the poses, whatever. And at the very end, when you do that Shavasana, the lay down pose, I traveled to some other land. I don't know where my brain went. They, they were like, lay down and relax. And then I disappeared until they woke me up. I have no, I can't account for the time. I don't know what happened. Right. It was amazing. Like, yeah. until the next time I went to yoga, I was like, I just need to get to that. Where was that place? I want to get there again. So I half-assed did the whole yoga. I was like, okay, hurry up, hurry up. Let's get to the end. And when I got to the Shavasana, I wasn't t- exhausted enough in order to like, enjoy the release of that yeah. last pose right yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so i'm always ch- chasing savasana and so it's kind of like what you're saying is in general is like you got to read the book go through all of these things these like hills and valleys with the characters in order to pretty much hit that that release at the end of the story and if you know it's coming it's sort of like it ruins the story a lot of times too. Cause then that's all you're thinking about is this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, you know, whether you're scared of the trigger or not scared of the trigger. If I put a miscarriage trigger on there, that is going to be in that reader's head from page one. And that's not where I want you on page one. I want you in the moment, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And also I think there are certain subgenres that lead, lend themselves more to like, for instance, if you're writing a dark romance and you have no trigger warnings, like that's pretty rude because your whole book is, a tr- is full of things that could be, or like if you're, you know, you're writing a book and you're like, oh, this book is, you know, fade to black. And then all of a sudden there's like cunnilingus on the page. People are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. So I think it's also important how you like, you know, like marketing the books. Like we've seen a lot of illustrated covers and then there's like deep sex times and we're like, didn't expect it. <laughs> yep. yep. I, <laughs> I never, whenever it's a cartoony cover and then it's like inside, I'm like, whoa, I thought I was in for a rom-com. This isn't a rom-com. Yeah. Those, those lovely British chicklets I read, those were all those cute cartoony looking covers. And yeah. 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 <laughs> Did you, um, start out with sex on the page or did you like grow into that what was your sort of writing sex scenes journey I put sex on the page right from day one (laughs) I you know in the beginning it's so funny I I can barely read my old stuff because I think I had no inhibitions because I wasn't in my own head yet so I was just like yeah let's do this let's do that let's do it all you know um but yeah there's always been descriptive sex in my books uh, I, I have to say it's definitely not in the erotica territory because I think when you venture over into erotica is when there's maybe more sex than storyline. Um, you know, I kind of seem to have a sweet number of like three to five sex scenes per book. Um, you know, the storyline might make that vary for different reasons. Like if it's slow or burn for some reason or if mm-hmm. you know they start sex really early in the relationship or on the page, then 
it might pop up more often, but um, I don't know. I, for me, yeah, I love a good descriptive sex scene, but I also love when the sex scene develops their relationship. So I really do try not to do gratuitous sex scenes. Like even if it's a fun, lighthearted sex scene, like they're connecting on a comedic level and it's showing their friendship blossom or their chemistry, you know? And so every scene that I put in there that's descriptive sex I'm hoping is advancing their relationship so that by the end when they're madly in love and dropping down on one knee or whatever they're going to do the reader believes it mm-hmm. yeah I definitely feel like um your books hit the feels train very well like they they I feel like some authors put sex in their books because they think they should and like you said it doesn't really serve the plot or the characters like I don't get anything out of it like I want to feel the vulnerability I want to be in it with them I want to be in the soup and I want you to tell me you know I want to feel all the feelings I want someone to like you know be shocked that they said that or be thrilled that they said that or whatever um and I want at the end to feel that like the squee I always call it like I want to be like yeah. Oh, totally. I love a good squeeze. Because <laughs> uh, Shawnee's like, I want, I want this book to be nasty, and I'm like, I want it to be nasty. I, I, I want to have some But <laughs> I also want like my cheeks to be red and like grinning so hard, and I want to hold my little heart at the end, just like sigh with happiness. So yes, I think you have struck a really great balance between the two. Yeah. I, I, go ahead. No, I mean, I feel like my early books were very emotional. So the feels, you know, like it was funny. I was kind of writing darker books, like my book, not the one, which is like the fourth book in my London Lover series. I remember one of my author friends, um, Stacy Hart was like, God, I just read that book. She goes, I don't get it. I was like, what? She goes, you're so funny in real life. Like, why are you writing such sad books? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I, like I told you guys before, I was probably still working out past traumas, but I think I wasn't fully embracing my romantic comedy side. So as I've written more books from then, like the Harris brothers and my wait with me series, I'm totally going more comedy, but those feels that emotion, I cannot shake that it lives inside of me forever. So there's definitely always going to be laughter and feels cause it's just a part of me. Yeah. Um, one thing um, I don't think I told you in the email is that Shawnee exclusively listens to audiobooks for our show. And I know you're a big proponent of audiobooks. Um, did you previously read audiobooks before you started writing? Did you just realize a lot of readers? Like, how did you get into, like, you know, making sure your, all your books have them? Gosh, it was real lucky. I mean, my London Lover series, I didn't think much about when I got those um, produced on audio. I just, and I did like royalty share. Like, I don't know if you guys know much about the behind the scenes stuff for authors, but yeah, I did royalty share with the narrators because that was the only way to do it if you don't have money. And I didn't have money. So I was like, yeah, let's do that. And so, and I didn't really think about the narrators. I didn't listen to audiobooks. I just like, I'm like, yep, they sound good. Yes, hired. (laughs) Real scientific research there. Um, But then by the time I was going to get ready to write the Harris Brothers series, um, first their sister's book, which is kind of the prequel to the Harris Brothers series, she was my first British heroine. So I was like, okay, I need, and I had a British hero, and I was like, I need to have somebody who's really British. And at the time, I'd been hearing like readers online talk about duet narration and how that was kind of like something people were really interested in. I was like, I can see why people would like that. Like where the characters are actually talking to each other in a scene, you know, the male voice is all of his dialogue and the female voice is all her dialogue instead of them 
you know, switching chapters. And so I found Will Watt, who was doing a lot of duet narration. He was British. He was fabulous. Um, and he had a friend named Charlotte Cole, who he was British also. And he's like, she would do great. We could record it together via Zoom. Um, and so we'll get that that timing right so it feels like we're really in the scene together and yeah he they did amazing like and I just I became married to them for like 10 books they've narrated so many of my books it reminds me of like when we were kids and you put the record on and it was like a dramatized version of the story so if you had like a Winnie the Pooh book they would like dramatically read it have different character voices and the whole thing and it really lends itself to that feeling of mm-hmm. having a book performed for you versus it just being read to you. Yes, uh, that's a great that's a great way to say it. I haven't heard yeah. it like that. I, I describe it often as like a movie in your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it feels more like a performance. And just hearing them bounce off of each other in the scene is just it's like you're right there. It's so fun. And I think I think also it takes really good voice actors to to like seal that deal for you because I will find that there will be duet books where I'm just like, no, no, Mm -hmm. no. (laughs) Sure, sure. And and somewhere I'm just like, yes, Obak, like, this is really hitting the spot. (laughs) And I do think it takes, like, a really good, um, really good actor to, like, sell that uh, for you, especially when you're used to listening to audiobooks with one narrator. Like, that has been the standard for so long that I remember the first time I heard a duet, the very first time it was an automatic no. I was like, no, 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 no. But then over over time I kept listening and I was like, okay, 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 I see what you're doing here. I see that. I see. <laughs> well, and the, the, the beauty of me hiring actual British narrators, um, and I figured this out early on in my Harris Brothers series was I could give them different British dialect like um so I started to apply different accents to different British characters so I was like make this secondary sound like she's more from Yorkshire or um more Cornish or you know like more Brighton accent so those and they could like pick up those accents easily because it's very similar to us in the U.S. we know what a southern accent is a New York accent you know Valley Girl California (laughs) um but you know what I mean so those little nuances that they could do um really elevated like the character voices as well and made that really feel like you know you were listening to multiple voices mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah and like and also like you can immediately identify like who's talking to who mm-hmm. uh, before you say like sloan said <laughs> like, yes exactly like, well, i know it's sloan because i know her accent thank you yes um, exactly which is super cool i think that's great because obviously we we always like we have, you know, transcripts for all of our podcasts. We're always trying to make things more accessible. It's one of the reasons we like podcasting. It's like so many people can consume a podcast. Even if you're busy, you could do it while you're driving to work or while you're mm-hmm. doing your dishes or while you're mm-hmm. walking your dogs or whatever. You can hang out with us anytime and feel like we're just your friends and, yeah. and you're out there walking your dog, laughing hysterically on the sidewalk. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, <laughs> so I think that's awesome. I, we also like have found a lot of people have recommended indie authors to us throughout we've been doing it two years and a lot of times we we don't pick that author or that book because there's no audiobook and so mm. we have to choose um, a different author so we're always telling people like you can do a rev share at first if you don't have the upfront money you can't like there are ways to get into it without investing ten thousand dollars or, or yeah. five thousand dollars 
It is, it it is a tough market to break into. I will tell you, like I've, I've taught some audio marketing classes at a couple author conferences and it's so hard to even advise on because, you know, it's such a gamble. If you want to own your own audio rights and have the most potential for long-term earnings, you have to take that risk up front. And, but you also, I think part of my audio success has come from being passionate about audio and talking about audio, you know, like in my, even in my TikTok, I am constantly re-educating people on what duet narration is because so many call it dual and it's not dual is when there are two narrators but they alternate their point of view chapters so they do not talk to each other in a scene they just narrate their own point of view chapters and then duet is when you know you can cut in on any chapter if your character's dialogue is on the page and so um I don't know. And it, and, it, and it excites people. It educates people. It gets people that maybe even aren't into audio interested in audio. So there's so many factors to being successful in audio. And I think I just got lucky that I found Will Watt early on and we, I stuck to it. Every book we did audio, every book we did audio. And so it's been able to grow with me. Um, unfortunately, my audios don't usually release on release day. They're usually about a month delayed. I know. I feel so bad about that. But I just, I just like, I'm a slower author as in terms of in romance, it's not uncommon for authors to write four to five books a year. I do not do that. I'm maybe two if I try really hard. So for me, by the time I hit that six months between releases, my readers are dying for it. So if I make them wait another month for the audio to be ready with it, it's just more painful. And I sort of love having delayed audio release because then a month later I get to just talk about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I get to just talk about audio, like Mm, audio, audio, audio. So it's almost like I get to celebrate it twice. Um, So, and I'm greedy like that. I want everyone talking about me. I'm a middle child too. I I seek attention everywhere I go. So I'm with you. I, I think I think it's great though because like like even in music right so I've been putting a song out every month um and so when you put the song out itself you get to like do a whole marketing burst of what you know whatever it is but then when you put a video out for a said song you get a whole new set of like attention in that and that thing so it makes a great sense from like a marketing perspective it's like hey remember me I'm still here. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm curious because Bridget and I, we're going to start writing books soon. We keep talking about it. We, we haven't done yet, but we're going to talk about it. Um, so, but I'm curious, have you ever written a book that you have entirely had to scrap? Been like, this isn't working. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> what happened? Like, I got to scrap this. Or like you were editing a book and realized like, because we always find that when we're editing the story comes together in the actual editing, not in the actual initial, <laughs> you know. Um, so have you ever found that the story changed heavily, heavily during the editing process? Um, so first, to answer the first part of your question, have I ever scrapped a book? No, but I literally hate everything I write. <laughs> like I never, like Blindsided is a, like a prime example. Like when I got ready to publish that book, I remember thinking this was going to be a big letdown. I I remember thinking I had such big ideas and I did not pull it off. And like, there was nothing my beta readers could say to me 
Like they kept telling me it was good. And I'm very needy. Um, my, I don't know if you guys do Clifton strengths, but my number two strength is uh, communication. So like I badger my beta readers. Do you know what I, I badger them for a, attention and wor- words of affirmation and whatever. And I mean, I over communicate every part of the book with them and they would tell me over and over it was good, but I was like, ah, I just, it fell short. It's super fell short. And I just, I'm disappointed myself. And then it like, look at it. It it was, it's two years old and sitting in the top 12 on Amazon right now. Like it makes no sense. Um, But I think that's just become a part of my process to just, if I hate it, maybe it's going to be good. You know, (laughs) Um, I also heavily edit as I write. So by the time I get to the very end of the book, there usually isn't much changes for me because I have been revising the whole time. A lot of my author friends are like, stop revising, just write a draft and then go back. I was like, nope, can't do it. I got to do it in the moment while I'm there. And then the next day I'll go back, comb through it before I add new. Like, so I think that's helped me um, not have huge revisions by the time I hit the end. But I do have alpha readers that read as I write. So those changes that I'm implementing early on are coming from feedback I'm getting from them. So that's, that's my weird process. Um, I, it makes sense why it takes you so long to read a book, not in a negative way, but in a like, well, yeah, when you're revising as you go, it just takes longer. Um, mm-hmm. I also appreciate that you said that because I feel like sometimes when I think about romance authors or I think about someone saying like, oh, I want to write but I can't write 10 books a year or I can't write five books a year. I can't even write two books a year. Mm-hmm. And, and like traditional publishing, like they write one book a year, like mm-hmm. max, mm-hmm. if not every other year, every third year, depending on what genre they're in. Um, and I think having indie authors and just seeing them, like how prolific some of them can be sometimes can be kind of, I mean, as a reader, I appreciate it. If I love that author, I'm like, write more, stop talking to your family, like put yourself in a cave. Um, But as like, as someone who also creates things, I'm like, it's intimidating and I can Mm -hmm. see. So I appreciate that you said that because I think it'll help a lot of people who are like, well, I could, I could maybe do like a book a year or two books a year. Like I just can't do 12. I I will say, I think I wrote a little faster in the beginning, which is funny. Like, I think I wrote faster when I still had a day job. And Mm. then the minute I quit the day job, um, it was like all this pressure just mounted and it it slowed me way down. And I, I, I will also say like, I am not writing that book for six months. I, do I, I like kill myself for like maybe a two month period. And then I do nothing for about as long as I can stand until I hate myself so much. And the self-loathing forces me to sit down and actually so be productive. <laughs> I feel Why like you calling this out, Amy? Why you calling this out Sorry you feel attacked. Sorry if you feel attacked. I don't like this about myself either. Yeah, I agree with you though. Like having a full time like job, I found it much easier to do creative things because you have just like less time. She's like, well, I only have an hour, so I got to do it. Whereas now I'm like, I only have infinite time, and so what I could do first is dishes. 
and then I've been meaning to start this book, so I'll just read for an hour, which yeah. turns into two or four. And then, like, <laughs> it just came out, and like, oh, you know, my friend's free for lunch. Like, I'll go pick up some lunch, even though I have food at my house. Yep. And then I'm like, oh, well, I didn't do a single – I could do it tomorrow. <laughs> like, I feel personally attacked because I have something I need to write, and I – I just don't want to. I know. It's, I it's to. tough. I mean, I hate when people are like, hey, what inspired your last book? And I'm going to be like self-loathing. Thank you. <laughs> that, that's what inspired me. I yeah. just got to the point where I hated myself enough to actually write. <laughs> yeah. I, I have this office, right, which is it's our walk-in closet. But when we moved into this warehouse space, I converted the whole thing into an office, right? So it's got this long desk. It's got everything I could possibly need in order to work and be productive and blah, 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 blah. I come in here and I just go into my own little world bubble. I play games. I putz around <laughs> on my phone. Like, no, nobody knows what I do in here. So it doesn't, like, it just, I, like, there's no, like, accountability for my, for my wanderings, right? And so recently I took my desk downstairs and sat it next to my partner's desk. I've been so productive. <laughs> it's like, like just, I sit down and I get things done. And I, t- I told her recently, I was like, I can't, I can't move back into the office because the office is too comfortable of a, of a zone for me to actually get like work done. But when, yeah. if I, my desk is near his desk, it allows me to do the, um, what do you call it? The buddy, you know, your, uh, what it's called when you have somebody with you. Um, it's like, no, no, it's like not a hive mind necessarily, but there's a oh body doubling. That's what it is. It's called oh. body doubling. So when you have like ADHD or uh, or are autistic, you um, do better if someone is in the space with you when you're working. It actually triggers your brain to like actually do things, and my brain works exactly like that. So if he's there at his desk and I'm at my desk, I will do all, everything. Everything that's on my to do list will get done. It's like all gets to do. But if I'm in my office, <laughs> I'll be in, I'll be in here daydream land. Come out Lost twelve hours later, not know what the hell happened. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. It's it's painful. It's, it's so painful. And then you're like, what did I do today? Like what? Like you know. But I but I would argue that those times of um, doing nothing, like those chunks of time, like a month or so of doing nothing are probably the most productive thing to do for any sort of artistic like, yes, yes. whatever. Like you need the nothing. I know. All my my a lot of my author friends when I when I go to retreats and I hate on myself because I'm not productive, they'll they'll throw me a bone and be like, you're just recharging, you're 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 brainstorming. And like I'm not doing nothing. I do enjoy marketing. I do enjoy TikTok, social media, those things. Yeah. All of that is adds value, you know, but like I was saying earlier, I, I wrote faster in the beginning and then I got slower, but like I built my platform up a bit yeah. to be able to be slower. So I, I can't say that new authors coming into it will have that luxury. I just don't know. I, I wish everyone could. And I, I think if you think you, you can only publish, if you can do three to four books a year, that's not, that's not accurate. You know, just do what you can do and be proud of it and then market the hell out of it. Have fun with the marketing side. That's the beauty of TikTok too, is if I'm not writing, I can make TikToks and still feel like I'm finding new readers and getting my, my stuff out there. Yeah. And one, oh, I was okay. going to say one real quick on the TikTok. One thing I think is awesome that you do that I wish other people would do is like, <laughs> you have to market the same thing 
a hundred and thousand fifty times. So like I see a lot of authors who are like, I posted it once and it's like, that's cool. Did you post it once a day for the whole year? Because you can't post it one time because you don't know who sees it. Yeah. And I think you do that so well where you're changing it a little bit, you're messaging it a little bit differently, but you're still talking about the same book or the same couple or the same, you know, the same series. I have and- to admit, I, I learned that when Blindsided blew up. Um, I sort of like was frozen when it blew up and I was like, now what? Now what? Should I post about a different book? And I think I might have. And then all of a sudden I was like, that was dumb. Keep posting about Blindsided, you know? And then it, yeah. that was just all they were getting from me. Like from yeah. then on, I was like, Blindsided, 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 Blindsided. Yeah. And yeah. then I hit number one. And so it all paid off. You know? I know. It's like, how does that, what was that feeling like? Like hitting number one? Like that's like an insane accomplishment for someone who has like a fucking traditional publishing media budget behind them, like let alone nothing like it was <laughs> you and yourself it was just like it was just like a regular friday night like yeah. i i didn't even so what was funny was i thought it was my tiktok that was blowing me up it wasn't um mine had like a hundred thousand views and like during the day i had looked at the rank and it was like 46 i was like holy crap that's that's excessive and i think maybe at that point i was like at seventy thousand views i was like from a seventy thousand view video this doesn't make sense and so like i was kind of posting about the rank climb and i think once i hit number one all of a sudden i got this like message from a book talker on um tiktok and she's like hey just so you know i have um a tiktok blowing up about blindsided too and it's got over a million views and i was like oh (laughs) that'll do it that'll do it next time so i can see it i know she was so sweet and i don't know how i missed it and so um yeah that was it was crazy so i think it was just this weird snowball effect where i had one kind of going viral she had one going really viral um the book was in prime at the time mm-hmm. so all these people that were seeing it not only could they go to amazon and borrow and kindle unlimited if they had prime they could get it for free so mm-hmm. it was literally like just this perfect storm of like magic i don't know it was nuts i did not know if i was gonna hit number one but i could tell the jumps in the rank were big. Um, I've had enough books hit the top 100 that you can kind of tell when a book's going to slow down based on the jumps. So if you're at 46 at one o'clock and at three o'clock, you're at 42, you're probably nearing the end of your spike for the day. And man, my jumps were like huge. And then I think I saw three and I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be done. Like I, there's just no way. And then like, I was literally in my office right here and it was 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, I'm, I got to stay up for one more update. I got to stay up for one more update. Cause what if I hit number one and my husband was sleeping on the couch behind me and, um, then it hit and I was like, oh my freaking gosh. I, I don't know. I had to wake him up. It was so funny. Oh, that is amazing. Mom, Props yeah. to you. Yes. I feel like that is the perfect note to end this this a whole wonderful interview with you on. Yeah. Um, you guys Thank haven't you. read Blindsided. Keep it climbing the charge, friends. It's a real fun rom-com. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, is there is there aside from Blindsided, is there another book that you want to plug that you want people to check out? Honestly, I mean, Blindsided is in a world of the Harris brothers. So you could pick one anywhere in that world and like find a new family. Like that's the thing about them. That's the four brothers are kind of the core, but then all these teammates and secondaries are all friends too. And they have these big gatherings and Harris Sunday dinners. And it's just like this great, like 
community of like London fabulous life that's just such a great escape hot you know with rippling yes. hot footballers yes <laughs> all right well dear listeners that's all we have for you today until next time may your books be your lover and your hand your best friend <laughs> Thanks for hanging in with us, romance readers. Head over to Instagram to continue chatting with us. We're super friendly. We want to cackle with you. We want to know what your favorite sex scene was. And we need more book recommendations. If you want to read along with us, go to our website, romanceataglance.com, to see what we're reading next. And we'll see you next podcast.